Welcome to the latest broadcast of the Practical CMO. I'm Mark Corona. I've got a great business associate, Todd Eberhard, on with me today. We're going to talk about ideal customer profiles, which are definitely a marketing buzz term today. Some buzz terms you kind of come and go, but this is a, a term that's been around for a while, and I think you're going to want to spend the time to understand a little bit more about it. Because ideal customer profiles are describe the characteristics of the best customers you'd like to acquire and maintain over time. Now, if you were a direct marketer, an e-commerce guru, you'd recognize this type of relationship as having high customer lifetime value, which would give you the highest revenue and profitability over the longest relationship time. Todd and I are going to discuss how to practically implement the concept of an ideal customer profile and talk about why it's important as well as how it can dramatically impact your business when you apply it to your marketing and sales program. So we've got some additional resources in the introduction to the program, but, but let me get into it this morning. So I have Todd Eberhard with me this morning. Todd and I have known each other for several years. Todd, you're the founder and CEO of Dynasty Leadership Consulting. It'd be great to share a little bit about your business with our audience today. Sure, Mark. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, I've enjoyed not only the podcast that you do, but the work that you've done. In my world, it's, it's really simple. From a, a dynasty leadership consulting focus, I just do two things. I coach CEOs and their executive teams, and I help with strategic planning. And in that world, sometimes it comes along where they're looking for how do we find better new business? And that's, that's kind of what brings us to our topic today. Well, great. So we're going to get into this a little bit. Let me give the audience a little bit more of a background on what we're going to talk about. So the name of this show is The Practical CMO. So we're going to make sure that we deliver some practical guidance to the audience today. But we want to encourage you to understand this particular approach to marketing and sales and how you can apply it to your marketing and sales programs. Because Todd and I are strong believers that can have a dramatic positive impact on your business. Now, the ideal customer client profile or ideal customer profile or the ideal client profile or the ideal buyer profile are all concepts that are pretty much the same depending on the language of your industry and your business. The history of an ideal customer profile may be a little bit fuzzy, but I believe it was introduced by pragmatic marketing now called the Pragmatic Institute years ago. If you aren't familiar with the pragmatic model, it's an incredibly thorough approach to marketing, product management, and product marketing. And I think if you net it out, stated simply, an ideal customer profile describes the characteristics of the best customer you'd like to acquire and maintain over time. And the characteristics of that relationship, there are four that Todd and I think about very typically when we think about who an ideal customer would look like. Low cost to acquire. So whatever programs you're using to bring those customers into your business, you're not paying a lot and you're getting a good return on those programs. Those customers represent frequent and very large purchases. So they may often be the most frequent buyers, but also some of the buyers buying what's spending the most amount of money with an ideal customer profile often understands your value proposition and supports your margin goal. So they're selling value that are probably not customers that are making selections purely on price. And then finally, because this is a long-term relationship, 
ideal customer profiles are cost effective to service over a long period of time. Now, Todd, you've come up with a really creative way of defining an ideal customer profile. And your definition was describe the characteristics of a client where if you could get 100 more, you jump at the chance. And I think that's a fabulous definition of brand slam. How did you come up with that particular definition? Because I think it's a great working definition for our, our audience today. Well, it's, it's one of those things that, because it's so obvious, it probably helps. But I do think about it in terms of who would you want out there that, that loves your best work, that pays you well, and raves about you to others? Boy, if I could have a bunch more like that, how great would that be? The actual term was helped coined by David Mann. He was uh, working with me on the project. But the idea is when you're working with a sales team or a sales force and a bunch of other people that have maybe more complicated sales or something that's more relationship-based, and quite often they get new business by referral, what would be the best mechanism of action that could help them bring in more of that? You know, one of the things that struck me when you and I first met and we started sharing our kind of common view of effective go-to-market programs was that you really got this thing very focused down. How long have you used this notion of an ideal customer profile? And can you share a little bit about how you specifically applied it in your business? Yeah, and, and this goes all the way back. So this is, uh, Dynasty is my sixth company. I'm, I suppose you call it serial entrepreneur from that, but my other companies have been either tech or business leadership, business management companies. But if I went all the way back to my very first company, which was Comworks, early on when we're selling, we chased everything, anything that we thought would drive business. It was like a, like a crazed dog on the highway. Everything that was moving, we would chase. And finally, you just get exhausted. So early on, we came up with uh, what would we call the rule of fives, which meant they had to have at least 50 locations, at least 5,000 employees and at least 500 million in sales. And that at least gave us right. a certain basis to get started. And then from there, things took on more and more significance as we learned more about the companies we wanted to work with. Those demographic factors, right? Revenues, number of employees, those are things that are pretty straightforward. I think most marketing and sales executives would put at the top of their list. But You've taken this, your ideal client profile beyond that. So what, what are some of the other characteristics you've got? I should let our audience know. Todd's got this down to seven criteria, which is very admirable for me because I'll, I'll share a little bit about my approach to this, which is much more extensive and maybe over-engineered over compared to what Todd's got today. Look, we have different approaches for different needs and different clients. And I do have it down for my world to seven points. And you're right. If it were just demographics, you know, the size of the business, the industry, the, the geography, man, you could go pull a list for pennies on the dollar and it would just be raining new business. But you and I know that's not enough. So one of the things that we get into from there is understanding what does good look like. And in that term, I look at a couple things. I look at timing triggers because just because we're ready to sell does not mean they're ready to buy. And so understanding what that looks like has become a big deal. And then I also mm -hmm. take a look at things like uh, what we would call psychographics or, or kind of and simply put, what are the things that we tell ourselves about who we are and what we believe? And I think those are super strong indicators on, are we going to have a good relationship? Do we have a good fit? 
And, you know, I think you've got a couple of criteria that you use that might be surprising that would sort of fit the psychographic, but certainly aren't pure demographic questions. So one of the questions you ask is, are you ready to make a significant change to your business? And another one is, do you have a vision that looks to grow your business at least three times the size it is today? How have you come up with those? Why do you think those are important uh, to include on your working list? Yeah. And again, for my clients, for what I'm looking for, for my own business, if you're talking about a significant change, gosh, if you've ever had to put in a new CRM system or an ERP system or do an office relocation, you can really understand what a total pain that is and that it's tough getting through. It's like a giant case of road construction. It's great when it's done, but that whole process in between is hard. And if you're going to change the way the business is run, you have to be prepared to go through that. I make the joke to my clients a lot is that there's a ton of people walking around the Twin Cities with a lifetime gym membership card that have never seen the inside of the place, right? Just just paying for it is not enough. So significant change, that means you have to have the entire leadership team on board with whatever we agree we're going to make a change to, we're going to see it through. And then you had asked about the the vision for a, a three times bigger business. Yeah, if, if it's a lifestyle business, if it's something where they're happy with the results they get and they're satisfied, well, I wouldn't say they would need a coach. You know, they're probably good right where they are. I'm really after right. the businesses. They, they may not know how to get there. They may not know what that path looks like, but they understand what that bigger business could do, not only for themselves, but their people and their clients. And those are people right. I really enjoy working with. Yeah, you're so passionate about this and such a proponent. You teach this model to your clients so that they can use it to drive growth and profitability in their business. Do you have one in particular that you think sort of uh, is a good short case study of how this can work for a small and mid-sized business? I was actually just having this conversation a few weeks ago with a, a good client. They're a, a logistics, like a, they call it 3PL. but it, So it's a shipping, pick, pack, and ship company. So if you want to keep your stuff in their warehouse, they would help you keep it moved out and rebundle it for you. So we built their own Grand Slam clients filter for them. And they had certain characteristics they were looking for, both from demographics as well as their own timing triggers, but also who they wanted as part of the team, because that became a quick tell to say, were we going to have success together? One of the interesting Mm -hmm. things that came up with them was when they took a look at if there was a team assigned early, because they would be working with companies like General Mills and Target. And so if there was a team assigned early, then their chance of success skyrocketed. But if there was a chance that the CEO or a top executive were involved early, it was typically devastating to the business. Even if they got the business, it was something that they found over the long haul was a train wreck for them. So Those would be more psychographic kind of pulls. For this specific company, one of the things that was interesting, I said, so, okay, we've been through this for a year now, and you've been monitoring your progress. The margins increased for the businesses they brought on, which was great. They were able to bring in some fantastic new clients, which is also great. And I said, if you had to think about it, I'm talking to their chief operating officer. I said, Rob, what do you think? And, And he said, you know, At the end of the year, we went off the filter three times and kind of went and said, this doesn't fit, but we're going to take them on anyway. And I said, well, okay, for those three times, how'd that work out? And he goes, yeah, it's kind of funny. 
two times we ended up firing them and one time they ended up firing us. And so he felt pretty good about the way wow. the filter was running. Yeah, and I think one thing our audience should take away from what you just said is that you really need to modify uh, your own ideal customer profile to the needs of your business. And perhaps that's why a lot of the models that I use and I share with clients are more extensive because they're doing much more outbound sales. Their initial leads are reasonably qualified in terms of demographics because we use that as an initial screen or an initial filter. But we're looking at issues in their business related to strategic fit, for example, or we're looking for issues, market-related issues. You know, some markets are not very strong in their marketing or their sales models. And then specifically with individual clients, a lot of times I'll look for clients that are, are experiencing growth challenges, you know, their, their revenues are declining or they're flat or their nominal growth, or maybe even clients, this is similar to yours, you know, where they're, they've got accelerated growth challenges. So, you know, they've done very well and, and the board or the shareholders or the owners have come in and said, hey, you know, what would it take to grow two times? I know you choose three times in your model. I also look for poor alignment between marketing and sales as I'm qualifying prospects. One of my uh, success stories with a client is a company up in Bloomington, Minnesota, Dalton Industries. Uh, two weeks ago, they just won Manufacturer of the Year from Fabricators and Manufacturers Association, which is a huge industry achievement. And we've deployed this approach for three years now. And uh, the last two years, we've seen over 20% year-over-year growth in an industry that's growing about 1.5% annually. If you talk to the VP of Sales and Marketing, he will tell you that of the qualified leads that we're generating through this kind of a program, his sales force is closing almost 30%. I mean, that's an unheard of rate, right? But it shows the power of a fairly extensive model that's customized for your business. So, you know, whether you've got seven criteria or 20, like a lot of my clients use that are selling B2B and they're fairly complex sales. The idea here is that we're trying to demonstrate the power of an ideal client profile and encouraging you to start to develop that within your business. How do you actually build and implement your own version of an ideal customer profile? I think our listeners would appreciate some guidance. And I think the process used successfully would be a great place to start. Would you mind laying out kind of the process flow, pick out some important points, and um, and then I'll uh, maybe just jump in here periodically as I agree or disagree with you on some of these <laughs> the, uh, definitional okay. things. Yeah, absolutely. So from the piece that we collaborated on, there's the 10 steps that go into what does it take to uh, to define what that Grand Slam customer looks like for you. Starting in the very beginning, it's usually a case of where are we at today? You know, what's that baseline look like? What I tend to prefer when I'm working with my companies is I would start with the newest clients, the ones that they brought on most recently. I tend to find those to be the ones that are most relevant. So if you were, uh, you know, what looked good at a, as a $5 million business might look very different as a $50 million business. And so we want to understand that. And that's when, this is when you would probably gather a lot of information, a lot of detail to get to your 20 points. Does that sound right, Mark? Yeah, that's about right. And I noticed one of the things that you do in your definitional process is you don't just look for the best of clients. You're also looking for who are your worst clients. And I 
think people might be surprised by that, right? Because we're talking about targeting the best, but how does understanding the worst fit into that approach? That does take them by surprise, but it's become super powerful with understanding where do we want to take things. Uh, there's an old saying that goes, success is a very poor teacher. And in doing that, sometimes we don't know, are we really good or are we just lucky? And in helping to understand the best customers, the ones you want to have on a hundred more like, it's super important to understand what the other end of that spectrum look like. What are the ones that burn out your customer service team? What are the ones that take an extra 45 days to pay their bills? What are the ones that start trying to negotiate on price before they even know what it is you're offering? Those are the ones I want to hear about. And not just from the sales team. I love hearing the customer service stories. I love hearing the mm -hmm. stories from the guys that have technicians in the field and what do they hear from people that might have a training force that have this interaction. Just because the check is signed doesn't mean the experience is great. And what I've learned right. over time, sometimes we're just misaligned with who we're after. Sometimes it's a great lesson in understanding where we're not doing our best work and getting those yeah. things meshed together. Help me understand both ends of the field, so to speak. We got both ends, both goalposts covered with the best and the worst. And now we start to build from there. And, you know, I think what you've been talking about, ultimately, you could sort out to a quality versus quantity discussion, couldn't you? Because I know, you know, as I try to implement I, uh, an ideal uh, customer profile process within a large company, you know, I went through a couple of days of training on this. And one of the sales people said, well, you know, I don't have time to ask all these questions. I'm, I'm too busy doing estimates. And it's like, oh, really? So, you know, he was, you try to convince me he does, you know, 40 estimates a week. And, wow. and then you ask, well, okay, so Alan, how many have you actually closed? And, you know, there was sort of that dead silence, you know, like we, in Minnesota, we call it the deer in the headlights look, right? And, right. and so, you know, sometimes activity, you, you, you just kind of were going down this road that activity is, takes you, you think you're doing the right things just because you're busy, but when you actually do the analysis on it, you might find otherwise. Yeah, 100%, because everybody can understand being busy always makes you feel good at the time. But when you look at what progress you've made, what relationships you've built, what sales you've made uh, at the end of the month, end of the quarter, end of the year, sometimes it tells a very different story. And, and you and I are both about getting the best results you know, in the terms of leverage, right? It's, it's how do you get maximum results with minimum effort? And I've always found that if you're sitting in front of the best people, your odds jump dramatically. So yeah, it doesn't matter how many estimates you're writing if they're for the wrong people. So finding the right yeah. ones really helps. You know, Todd, one of the things that you've described as being a healthy process of defining a Grand Slam client is that you sort of test and iterate I mean, I know one of the things you recommended is that at least annually you review the process. You, you know, look at the data, sort of match your best customers against what you thought the right criteria were. They're pretty big on testing and iterating and evolving this over time. Yeah, because if you think about it as a company, sometimes the people change that deliver the service. Certainly the salespeople have the potential of changing, but you also develop new capabilities, maybe bring on new product lines, new services that you offer, maybe have new geography, maybe you find a different focus direction. So if you're doing a strategic plan and 
you want to have something that's more upstream sales, something that's a little bit more complex. All those things have impact. And so what was your best customer a year ago, two years ago, three years ago might be replaced by a new best customer that you learned even more from. Same with the worst mm-hmm. customer. And, and I, I do bring it down to a scoring system where if the best customer scores exactly the same or within a small percentage of what your worst customer looks like, well, we got one of two big problems that I've found over time. We either miss something really big. There's something key in those criteria that, that we've flown over and we need to go back and examine that because we've missed something that's going to make or break what your next big sale is. Or you don't have a big enough body of evidence, which I find with, uh, with newer companies. They just haven't had enough experience in that area to be able to say my best and my worst don't look the same or don't look far apart. But I do think mm-hmm. there's a huge gap in looking at it. And that's why I believe real strongly in not only testing, but iterating as you go. Yeah. Anyway, that uh, concept of iteration, I think, is particularly important for manufacturers. And just as an example, the more successfully you use a program like this, the more you're going to fill up your operation with work, right? And then as you start to fill that manufacturing capacity up, you have an opportunity to get even more refined about who do you want to do business with to make sure that you're maximizing your profitability as you sort of get to your maximum capacity. I think that's a real practical example of why iteration is so important here. Yeah, I, I was thinking along the terms of a manufacturing, you make up a, a great point in that in the world of, so we have rapid prototyping now that, that wasn't online, you know, five, seven years ago, the same way it is today. You have all kinds of international capacity that wasn't as accessible before. In the current state we're dealing with right now, you have tariff issues that, that all these things come into play and you still want to keep the team marching forward. All right. So be, beyond defining a grand slam customer or an ideal customer, you need to successfully implement this program. And I know you've got some very helpful thoughts about how to do this well. Would you mind sharing a couple of those with the audience today? Sure. I mean, so once you've gotten the team together and they've actually contributed to the process of building it, and quite honestly, I think that's maybe one of the most important keys is people tend to believe in a solution they had a hand in creating versus something that's just handed to them as marching orders. So you start with, once you have this together, you, you bring them in, you get the sales team together and say, here's where we're going. You guys have seen this, you helped to build it, right? And then from there, you start to bring through, how do we turn that into a sales script? How do we ask the right questions? And not just for a sales process itself, but I work with a ton of companies that get their new business by referral. How would you like to be 10 times more referable? Well, This is something that you can share with people as well that are likely to hand that off. So you talk about how is that script going to go, right? You talk about who you're willing to get more of, that 100 new. And then quite honestly, because we all have limited capacity, who are we going to be willing to say goodbye to? And that doesn't mean you have to fire them, but maybe you have pricing adjustments and there's certain ways to be able to go about and do that tactfully as you go. What you may even find out is that they were in the process of looking for someone else anyway, because it's never in isolation. Mm -hmm. You tie those into the marketing program. So if you think about it, and in your world, Mark, this is particularly a big deal because you do such a great job of tying in lead generation, 
bound programs, inbound programs, websites, all of those should know what it is we're looking for. What does good look like? Because if every time you ask that, the response is, well, it depends. Well, you're going to spend a lot of money trying to figure out what good looks like. So having that laser focus piece is a big deal. You can even, you and I were talking about this before you, you hit the record button, but even putting it into a CRM, you can bring it down to a simple score to say, does this pass? Is this what we all agree good looks like? Or do we need to refer them on to someone else? In my world, that's the simplest test of, is this somebody that we would want to take on? Because if it's not, if it falls below what you're going to consider a good score, then you got to be willing to refer them out to somebody else that potentially is a competitor. And, you know, I think, Todd, talking about CRMs, most CRMs have the capability of doing some custom scoring, right? I mean, off the shelf, they're all sort of still based in that task world, right? So, you know, I sent a piece of collateral at a 10% qualified. I did a demo with a 30% qualified. I talked three times to the buyer, another 50% qualified. And you, you and I are like, oh, no, don't do that, right? Don't believe that that's the right way to qualify customers. Because I think our experience tells us that that's too simplistic to be valuable to most of the companies that we work with. So you know, what do you think about tying it in the CRM? I mean, it's valuable, right? But there are challenges. Absolutely. And you have challenges on both sides, right? Because you have challenges on the customer side because just because we're ready does not mean they're ready, right? There is always a timing element and we have to understand what moves our clients to buy. What is different today than yesterday that has them ready to sign the contract that's been sitting on their desk for three months that has them picking up the phone and saying, Mark, I'm ready for you. What gets them to move? So that's a piece of it. Then you got the other piece of it. Each salesperson is different. You you and I work with enough sales teams over the years that you have some that are super conservative and think nothing's ever going to close and they magically hit their number each month. And then you have the super optimistic new guy that comes in thinking they all love him and yet they come up empty at the end of the month. So uh, as management, you got to meter that out within the CRM system. Yes, you really do. So, you know, Todd, as we wrap this program up, I think it would be good to reiterate some of the benefits of this approach. I mean, hopefully our listeners are sort of gotten our passion and gotten some practical guidance on how to do this. But go back to why it's important. I mean, the, I think one of the major benefits is that this ideal client profile or ideal customer profile really gives a more streamlined and effective process of lead generation and qualification. And we put a couple of resource links in the introduction to this program. You could certainly read more about how that happens there. But the other thing about an ideal customer profile or finding a profile for a Grand Slam customer is that it does bring more intelligence into your marketing and sales process. And that itself creates a lot more immediate benefits Salespeople like it because they're much more productive, reduces the ramp up for new sales staff, um, reduces sales cycles. You know, you and I talked about reducing the time wasted on poor prospects, which are just kind of creates wear and tear within the sales organization. Are there any other large benefits that you found that we want to highlight? In my experience, the number one thing that comes across is it makes you 10 times more referable. And when I'm working with people that are in complex sales, that are in relationship type of sales, that referability is a big deal. 
Um, I think that's super helpful. There's a there's an easy numbers game to play with it. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mark. That the thing that you could guarantee is as you bring on more of those customers that you'd love to have a hundred like, guaranteed you're going to lift your gross margins. It becomes a, a bigger winning game. And in the end, you you brought up a good point before. You want to treat your people well. And by having clients that appreciate what you do when you're at your best, everybody wins. Hey, Todd, thanks for weighing in on that. You know, I think just kind of net this out. You know, if you're a business that's challenged by slow growth or no growth or you have too many non-performing customers, you may have an under underperforming sales pipeline or an underperforming sales team. I mean, c- coming back to this notion of an ideal customer profile, I think we would say, this is something you ought to think seriously about. And um, I know you uh, make half-day workshops available to businesses. Do you want to share a little bit of your contact information so people could follow up with you if they're interested in that? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Todd Eberhardt, Dynasty Leadership Consulting. You can catch me by email at Todd at Dynasty LC, like Dynasty Larry Charlie.com. Or you can get me directly at 612 845 2076. Great. Thanks again, Todd. Well, I just got back from Kauai a little while ago, and the Kauai, people in Kauai give you a great send-off, which is, um, may the trade winds be behind you, rainbows above you, and aloha all around you. So we'll send our listeners off with those, with those great thoughts uh, this, uh, today. Thanks, everybody. Look forward to catching you on another broadcast of the Practical CMO.